Take your Bibles and go ahead and go to the Old Testament this morning. Uh, we're going to uh, take a few verses out of the book of Joshua today. Joshua chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 6 through 14 uh, when we get there. Hopefully all of you had the opportunity to run with the idol this morning uh, from the Indiana Jones film. If so, we captured a picture. If not, you can, you can do that after uh, we're done worshiping here this morning. And we'll give you one more shot to uh, run from that massive, I know it looks like a basketball. <laughs> with a little imagination, though, it could be a rock. But around here, a basketball fits. I mean, it, it probably makes sense. Uh, we're continuing our Indiana Jones-style series as we move into the summer. Uh, the series is called Dialing Up Destiny, where we're talking about the destiny uh, that we are to have and who God has created us to be. Now, while that's not a new topic, today is one of those days that we take our look at a passage of scripture that, that allows us to go the step beyond what we did last week. Last week we left you with this um, moment, some of you committed over this past week to pray that God would make you bold. I've heard from some of you, yeah, some of you have emailed, um, talked to me a little bit this morning about some of the ways that you've seen the answer to that prayer. It's a big prayer, no doubt about it. So today we're going to go beyond that and say, okay, if I'm going to think this way, if I'm going to pray this way, if I'm going to ask God to make me bold, then what is it? that I need to do to get there. I mean, what, how do you do what we asked you to do last week? How do you really put some very practical, understandable stuff around that? And so today we're going to talk about the adventure crusade, the adventure that God calls us to, what that looks like. And we're going to make three points out of this particular passage and say a few things, and hopefully it will help. I don't think you're going to hear anything brand new today, but maybe you'll hear some things for the first time today, um, which is entirely different. So we'll talk about that in just a minute. But before we do... Um, Indiana Jones is a movie. Uh, his, the latest and maybe final installment, I'm not sure, opens this weekend. So if you already have your tickets, awesome. If not, I don't have any idea if it's going to be good or not, but it's an Indiana Jones movie, so why not? Might as well go. Um, but if you go back to the very beginning, it started with Raiders of the Lost Ark. In many ways, there were people that thought that was the perfect movie. But not everyone did. And so turn your attention to the screen. Anyway, thank you for watching it. It's one of my all-time favorites. It was very entertaining, despite the glaring story problem. <laughs> story problem? You, oh, <laughs> Amy. <laughs> what a dewy-eyed mooncalf you are. Raiders of the Lost Ark is the love child of Steven Spielberg and George Lucas, two of the most gifted filmmakers of our generation. I've watched it 36 times, except for the snake scene and the face-melting scene, which I can only watch when it's still light out. But I defy you to find a story problem. Here's my jaw. Drop it. All right. Indiana Jones plays no role in the outcome of the story. If he weren't in the film, it would turn out exactly the same. Oh, I see your confusion. Now, you don't understand. Indiana Jones was the one in the hat with the whip. No, I do. And if he weren't in the movie, the Nazis would have still found the Ark, taken it to the island, opened it up, and all died. Just like they did. <laughs> Let me close that for you. Why are you reading Pride and Prejudice? Well, I'll tell you why. Amy ruined Raiders of the Lost Ark for me. So now I'm trying to find something beloved to her and ruin that. 
because her life wasn't enough. <laughs> how, can, how can anyone ruin readers? It's perfect. Yeah, except for the fact that Indiana Jones is completely irrelevant to the story. Yet with or without him, the Nazis find the Ark, open it, and die. No, the Nazis were digging in the wrong place. The only reason they got the Ark was because Indy found it first. Actually, they were only digging in the wrong place because Indy had the medallion. Without him, they would have had the medallion and dug in the right place. Oh. Wait, wait. If it wasn't for Indiana Jones, the Ark would never have ended up at the warehouse. That's true. He collected and delivered the Ark to the proper authorities for filing. <laughs> like a hero. Yes. <laughs> Although technically, Indy was supposed to take the Ark to a museum to be studied. He couldn't even get that done. Oh. <laughs> Movie completely ruined. Indiana Jones doesn't need to be in it. I, I show you that clip to make a spiritual point, believe it or not. And the point is this, and, and I, I want you to hear me this morning, but I want you to hear me with the spirit that it's intended. Uh, God doesn't need you. And the big plan of his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven, he doesn't need your help. The creator of the universe doesn't need you. The story's going to turn out the same with you or without you. Man, what an ego deflator that is, right? I mean, why have that feel-good? I heard other church in town doing that feel-good, fluffy stuff. But let me tell you the truth, though. This is good news for you. Because don't let that crush you. It, it, it ought to excite you, because here's what you need to know about that. The creator of the universe, the one that put all of this in motion, the one who has created time and space, thinks you're so valuable, he has invited you to participate and be an integral part of his plan to accomplish his will and bring about his kingdom work here on the planet that he created. See, he thinks you're so valuable that you can play a role in that, and he invites you to do that. So that makes you feel pretty good about yourself. See, he can do it without you. I mean, any of us could fall off the planet, and the planet's still going to roll on, and God doesn't need us. But he wants us to participate, and he calls us because he loves us. And as we always talk about here, it always falls down to this. It seems like every other week we're coming back to this big idea where but you have a choice to make. Will you make the choice to do what he's asked you to do and be obedient? Will you make the choice to live the life that you were created to live? Will you make the choice to live a life that's bigger than you? Or... Will you settle for less? Will you convince yourself that there's a way, another way around it and you'll just settle for less? And you'll make tons of excuses why you can't. That's your choice. Because you have a creator who loves you so much, he gave you a choice. And the choice is to do and be and become. Or the choice is to miss it and settle for less. That's the choice. And so this morning, we're going to talk about what happens when we make the choice, when we make the decision 
uh, to allow our lives to go to another level. When we make the decision that we won't settle for less than God's best for our life and we want to become the best version of ourselves. It's not up to anybody else in this room. It's entirely up to you. And if you will make that choice and you will discover a life where the incredible does happen and the adventure is real and, and there's an adventure that you're on every single day of your life. And so when you get up in the morning, there's a purpose to your being here and there's something that you're living for that is bigger and will live beyond you if you want it to be. And so with that in mind, I want to share with you a story about a guy who like many guys in this room may have experienced, um, found himself to be a father for the first time. Now, if you're a dad in the room, you will understand, maybe relate to the story at a level that others won't, but you'll get the idea. His dad um, had been involved in the child birthing process as much as he possibly could. Uh, he had gone to class. Uh, he had been in the delivery room. You know, he had done the breathing. <laughs> He had done all those things that they tell dads you can do to be a part of this when at the end of the day, dads, you really got no part of this at all. But that's what they tell you. And he had done it. He had been faithful to show up and do it. And so he was all in on fathering. He wanted to be the best father he could possibly be. And so he came to that moment, which is a crucial moment in any dad's life. The first time his wife leaves the house and leaves him alone with the baby for the first time. Now the dad wants to be full functional. I mean, he doesn't want his wife to think that, you know, she, she married a nutball. So he, he's going to do it well. He's gonna, he, wants, he loves his child. He wants to do it right. And all of a sudden she leaves and he, the child starts to cry. And not just cry, but we're talking cry. We're talking ears splitting, screaming, out of your head, tears sloshing across the room, crying. And the dad is panicked. And he does everything that he knows how to do to get the child to quit crying. And the child won't stop crying. And he looks at his watch and only 15 minutes have passed. <laughs> and he's tapped out. And the crying continues and continues and continues. And after an hour, he doesn't want to call his wife because he doesn't want to admit failure. Because, well, guys, we understand that. We just don't admit that. And so he makes a bold decision. One that he thinks will solve the problem for his child, most of all. And as a secondary himself. He goes to the center care right down the street. He walks in with a screaming baby and tells the doctor, this child is screaming. I don't know what to do. Something's wrong. And the doctor, okay. And so he describes what's been happening for the past hour or so. Doctor checks that child out from head to toe. Everything is fine until he gets to the diaper and the doctor takes off the diaper and says, well, I think I found your problem. The child needs to be changed. And the father, with all the sincerity that a new dad can have, says, wait, wait, wait. But the diaper package said it's good for up to 10 pounds. <laughs> Apparently, as good as he wanted to be, he just didn't know what to do. I think that for a lot of our lives, when it comes to the spiritual stuff, we want to do it. We want to get it right. But for some reason, we think it's much harder than it really is. And we just don't know what to do. And we exhaust everything that we know how to do, and it doesn't take very long, and all of a sudden, then we're panicked. And we, 
don't know what to do next. We don't know where to go next. We don't know where to turn. And as a result, we find ourselves just floundering sometimes in this adventure, this journey that God has called us to, this holy boldness that we're called to live out. It gets us frustrated, and, and if we're not careful, we quit because we've tried all we know to do, and there doesn't seem to be any help. So where do we go from there? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But before we do, before we talk about God, um, let's talk to him. Uh, let's pray again before we read the passage. God, we thank you that you are a God who is willing to meet us right where we are, call us right where we are, and allow us to start becoming who we were created to be. It is so much bigger than we think it is. And our life can be so much bolder than we thought it could be. But Lord, for that to happen, we have to get out of the way. And it's got to pray this morning would be a reminder to us of how to get out of the way so we can go your way and become that person that you have created us to be. Help us to see some things with some clarity that maybe we never have before and remind us of some things that we probably already know but need to be reminded of again. That's our prayer hope for these next few moments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles open, verse 6, Joshua 14, says this, Now, the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers, who went up with me, made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to the battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities are large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Powerful line of testimony. That last phrase sums it all up. I could tell you if you want to live the life that God has for you, do what it says there. Be that person that follows the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. If you do that, your life's going to be good. Now, I could pray and we could be done for the day. But you're not that lucky. Um, and so that was a long time day, man. We're going to pick up uh, and go back and pick up the story. But I want to begin with a recent medical study that I read, and I, I want you to know that I rarely will, will recommend 
um, things that physicians would say to you as something that you ought to incorporate in your life. Because obviously I'm not a doctor, but I do know this. I watch a lot of medical shows on TV. <laughs> and I feel like that qualifies me to show a lot of things. But I have discovered in my research that most illnesses can be handled in 45 minutes with commercials. And people are better and usually can get on with their lives in less than an hour, which again, really, I think is sound medical advice for all of us on any given day. This particular study comes out of Harvard, and it comes out of Harvard, recorded in the Atlantic. David Merritt Johns is the author of it, and he said, I would need to preface, uh, preface this story by simply saying that when I first saw this, it came to me with this note, I'm sorry, this cracks me up every time I think about it. The study was done by Andrews Corrad, and he found some curious results in a study that he dug out, and this was the result of the study. I quote, among diabetics, eating half a cup of ice cream a day is associated with a lower risk of heart problems. Ponder that. <laughs> you want to eliminate heart problems, eat a half a cup of ice cream a day. Man, I want a prescription for that. I mean, that's awesome. So if you're listening to me this morning, you've got the sound of my voice, and you have some type of heart issue, according to the Harvard study, not me, but the Harvard study, half a cup of ice cream a day, you will be less prone to heart problems. Now, you say that makes no sense. Well, you know, that's the guy, the guy who read that statement, or read the report, said the same thing. And so he asked for permission to do a research project to debunk the findings of it. And so he worked for over a year. This is what he wrote. There are a few plausible biological explanations for these results. But the more he dug, the more he found other studies that supported the same thing. And he kept finding the same results in other places that he went. And he did a deep dive trying to break it away. And he discovered that what they would do instead is that many people who were doing the study would pivot away from ice cream and make the assumption that they must be talking about yogurt. Yogurt, frozen yogurt, would be better for you than ice cream. And so that would actually make their conclusions based on yogurt. He said, the problem with that is that's not what the studies say. All the studies are saying simply this. The food that is associated with the lower risk of heart problems is ice cream. And his conclusion is, we don't know why. Boggles the mind, doesn't it? See, we live in a world where we're supposed to trust the science. I say trust it. <laughs> Go for it. Go grab your bluebell, see what happens. Now, Here's what I would suggest to you. Do not take my medical advice. <laughs> because I, there are some gaps in my line of reasoning, reasoning no doubt. Um, basically, I would be giving you advice that would be good, well-intended, but uh, it's advice that I want to give you because I like it. And we're all prone to take advice that we like. At the end of the day, we have to come to the conclusion that there's a whole lot about our biology that, you know, eh, it's not going to make sense to us. I mean, is the study real? Is it? I, don't, I, don't, I have no idea. It's just what they said. But we always look for the advice that we like, and we take it, and we run with it because we think that it has to be right. Why? Because we like it. This morning, I want to go to a passage of Scripture that kind of cuts across that a little bit, kind of like it did with boldness. Remember we talked about boldness last week? We talked about there's a price to pay for boldness, though, and boldness sometimes is going to be tough. Well, today, when you take a good look at this passage of how you get to boldness, it does the same thing. But I would wholeheartedly suggest 
that if you're going to make decisions for your life, you go to God's word as a source. Not me, not someone else, but make sure it lines up with what the word says. And if the word says you're going to be in good shape, and I can say that with complete, complete confidence, and I will always bank my life on the authority of God's word. And so today we go into God's word, understanding that when we believe things, and when we really lock in on those things, those, those things have the opportunity to change us, influence us, impact us, and will change the trajectory of our life if we let them. But that's the choice that we make. And so the first thing I want you to see about this passage is if you're going to live with a holy boldness, that is an adventure, but that adventure has to be based in faith. Verse 8. But my brothers who went up with me, and this is Caleb talking again, made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Caleb is the grand old man of Israel. I don't know if you ever thought about this or not, but if you wanted to find when it came time for the children of Israel to cross into the promised land, who were the oldest two guys to go? Caleb and Joshua. Because everybody else had died off. So we don't know how old Joshua was, but we know how old Caleb is. Caleb's 85 now. So he is at least one of the two oldest men among the children of Israel that are still around. That's the generation that's left. A new generation has come along. These are the two that are left, and they're going to go. God made him a promise in Deuteronomy 1, uh, verse 36. It says, I will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet on because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. And so in this address that Caleb makes to Joshua, he is kind of reliving some of those moments. As he stands as an 85-year-old man before General Joshua now, he reminds him that years ago, 12 spies go into what is the promised land? And you know the story if you've ever uh, been through the Bible and ever, you know, kind of heard the stories, hung out in Sunday school. But you know how it works. Twelve spies go in, ten come out, and ten say, you know, it's a land that's flowing with milk and honey. It's a promised land. It's great, just like God promised, except for one thing. There's giants in that land, and it's so big, and, and we're like grasshoppers on uh, our own side. And I mean, they're, they're going to kill us. We can't take the land. And Joshua and Caleb come out. And they have a, the same report from the standpoint of, yeah, it's great land and things are big there, and, but it's fantastic. The only difference was they said, but we can take it because God will be with us. And the people got ugly. And the people chose to believe the ten and not the two. Now, the implications of this and, and, uh, are are amazing if you think about it. These are two guys standing up in opposition to what millions are now thinking. See, it's not just a report of the ten. The ten influenced everybody. There are over a million people making that track. So these guys now have the stuff to stand between God's plan and simply just going, well, if that's what everybody wants to do, we won't do it. There's something very special about Caleb and Joshua. This decision that the people are going to make is huge. It changed Moses' role from being a man that was going to lead them into the promised land to be their tour guide in the desert till he died. The implications of this decision are absolutely huge. 
And God looks at Joshua and Caleb and says, I'm going to bless you for what you've done. You will see the promised land. Your inheritance is there. You'll get there. And so the testimony the man brings is simple. He had lived by his convictions. Now, here's what you have to understand, and this is where it comes back to us. Caleb doesn't minimize the problems. The giants are big. The cities are fortified. The problems are real. But there's a principle that you have to understand that fits into our life each and every day, and it's in your worship outline if you've got it. It's a fill-in-the-blank for you. You can crank the blank out here. Um, but it's simply this. Don't minimize the problem. Maximize God or magnify God. Don't minimize the problem. Magnify God. In other words, in your life, Make sure that God is bigger than your problem. Because when you don't, and when you allow your problem to become bigger than God, then in your life you start worshiping the problem and not God. See, if our problem becomes so big that God can't handle it, or we don't think that God can handle it, then what do we do? We allow the problem to dictate what we do. The problem compounds all of our problems and our choices interchange. The problem becomes the focus of our life when we have a God who says, I want to be the focus of your life. You focus on me first. It, it doesn't mean that your problems will ever get smaller. And see, that's where I think sometimes in our Christian brochures we've kind of messed up a little bit. We make it sound like it's all... Uh, nice and easy and fluffy and, and, and it's going to be okay and you, know, you follow Jesus and you're never going to have another problem. No, 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 no. Your life's going to always be complicated, but God's going to complicate your life in the right ways. And you have the opportunity then to make a choice. Am I going to focus on the problem? I'm going to focus on God. And the more you focus on the problem, you know what happens? The problem becomes bigger. You, you've all lived through that, right? I mean, there's something that's wrong. You start worrying about it. You start worrying about it. You start worrying about it. And before long, you find yourself, you're worrying about it all the time. And it becomes so big, when it finally does happen, it's never as bad as you think it's going to be. You've been there before. You know what I'm talking about. We've all been down that road. When we allow ourselves to lose sight of where we're supposed to be, we discover that our ability to make the right choice disappears. And so at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, what do I believe more? Do I believe in the promises of God and what God has called me to do? Or do I believe in what the world around me and the culture might say or circumstances might say to me? Where am I going to put my faith? See, Caleb, coming out with a report very easily with the groundswell that was kind of going the other direction, could have said, you know what, I see a little different, but they're right, they're big. We're probably not tough enough. We probably should just wait. And if you think about how dumb that whole scenario was, did the children of Israel actually think that they were going to get smaller in the promised land later on? I mean, God brings them to the brink. He brings them out of captivity. All they have to do is cross over and they have to take it. Did they think that, like, the cities were going to crumble? The people going to get smaller? It was ever going to be easier? Like, it's going to be easier next month than this month? 
And at the end of the day, Caleb decided, no, I've got I've to go with what I know. God's bigger than the giants. In your life, do you have anything that is bigger than God? And if you do, I can tell you this, it's preventing you from following God wholeheartedly. Could be your own doubts. Could be your life experience. It could be what somebody did one time. Could be what somebody said one time. Could be a lot of things. But when you let it become bigger than God, it will rob you of the joy of following him with all you have. And by not following him with all that you have, you'll never discover the joy you were intended to have. Second thing, you see, is also this is an adventure that's bolstered by truth. Look at verse 10. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. It's real easy to lose this in a story. But what would your life look like if every morning you got up and you knew you were not going to die today? Now, most of us don't fixate on that. I got that. But somewhere in the back of our heads, most of us know that we could clock out at any time. It could be anything. It could be a, bolt, a, a rock that looks like a basketball. It could, be, it could be a variety of different things. But, you know, it, I mean, life is unpredictable at best. We know that. We're, we're, you know, we're a heartbeat away, uh, uh, an unexpected moment, an accident, a diagnosis. I mean, anything that could happen. But think about this. Caleb and Joshua both knew they had a promise from God. You're not going to die until we get and you go into the promised land. And they watched all these people die off around them. And every day they got up and they knew, I'm not going to die today. How different would you live life knowing that you were not going to die? Wouldn't you be like an Avenger? Right? I mean, you, you, you would get up in the morning, I'm not going to die today. What can I do? Oh, there's a rock slide. Here, I'll go stand in front of the rock. You know, we, we would do a variety of crazy things, but we would know we weren't going to die. I mean, how awesome would that be? Well, here's what I want you to understand something. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you, you kind of got that one in the pocket. I mean, if you know Jesus, you already promised eternity. See, this Old Testament crowd wasn't promised that. But we live on this side of that. We're in a New Testament crowd. And so if you know Jesus, you're not going to die. Did you hear what I just said? You could be an avenger. You could be an avenger. You're a superhero. You get eternity. You're an eternal. If you know Jesus, you will take your last breath. But according to Scripture, your next one is when you open your eyes in his presence. How awesome is that? And yet we live so fearfully sometimes. We're so scared. So scared of what's going to happen next. We worry about everything. We worry about too much. It, it eats us. It eats at it. It, change, it changes us. And we forget the truth that should be bolstering our life and making us stronger. We're not going to have to worry about death. Because Jesus took the sting of death so that we could pass through the shadow of death. Not he get hit by death. But pass through the shadow. See, I don't, I don't know. I'm looking at your faces right now. You don't seem as excited about that as you should be. 
Some of you are excited. Some of you are going to run out this afternoon. You're going to buy a leotard, put a number on it, and you'll be a hero. I got it. I, and I don't, please do not send me those pictures. I do not want to see them. You wear a leotard on your own time. But you can be a superhero. And what you do with your life matters. In the Indiana Jones movie, you understand, right? When you watch the Indiana Jones movie this weekend or the next weekend or wherever you go see it, and, and hopefully you'll see it, Harrison Ford is 80 years old. I mean, he's still wearing a hat cracking a whip. In an interview this past week, I saw him talking, and he said, you know, he goes, I wanted to make and prove to audiences that an aging Indiana Jones could still be great. Now, as an actor, he's kept himself in pretty decent shape over the years, but uh, since that first one came out, ooh, about a thousand years ago, I mean, there's been a few broken bones, uh, a lot more years, a lot more mileage, as Indy would say. And even though he kept himself in good shape, he decided to take it one step further. In preparing for the film, he actually started training again for the first time in a long time, three hours a day. He started uh, eating a diet of high protein and vegetables. And they asked him why, and he said, well, as much as possible, I'm going to keep doing my own stunts. Now, he used to do a lot of his own stunts. But at 80, he said, in fairness, I don't want to break a hip. But he said, because when I go into the theater, I want to know that when I look into the face of the hero on the screen, that it really is my face and not the back of some stuntman's head. Now, I admire that. I mean, are you going to buy an 80-year-old archaeologist adventurer cracking a whip and fighting off Nazis again? I will. Because at the end of the day, there's something about that that inspires us and reminds us that, you know what? No matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what your stage is in life, there's still something out there worth fighting and battling for. For Caleb, he says, God's kept me alive for 45 years. But see, there's another promise. It's not that you just won't die. The second promise is just as important. You will inherit and your children will inherit promised land. So it wasn't just a 45 year before you clock out promise. It was a promise that says, and you're going to go in and you're going to take what I'm promising to you and you're going to live there and then your kids, your generations to follow will have that land as well. That had to change everything about Caleb's life. It kept him from being a grumpy old man. (laughs) If you keep the grumpy at bay, Makes you a lot less angry when you get old. See, there's a stereotype about people when they get old. When they get old, somebody says, ah, they get cranky, they, 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 they get grumpy, they get mean. And, and here's what I've discovered about that. That's, uh, 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 there's not as much truth in that as you think. Here's what I know about you. If you're a grumpy, ornery, cross-eyed, whatever, young person... You'll just be a more intense version of that when you get older. Okay? So if you're blaming your grumpiness on your age, no, you were a pain in the butt years ago too. No one just ever told you that. Okay? Now, if you are a person who's focused on God and who have your focus where it needs to be and you're following God and, you're, and you've got an attitude that says, you know, I believe that God can do the incredible, then you know what happens is you get older, you begin to see that, yeah, okay, I'm going to continue that attitude. Now, Will there be aches and pains? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've discovered with aging comes aches and pains. 
And I have an answer for that too. Gravity is just heavier when you get older. You're just carrying more gravity. You don't, you don't disperse it as well. When you're younger, you're moving faster and you disperse it as well. That's part of being a superhero. You have to understand what that is. And then you have to learn to use that as your superpower. But Caleb spent his life knowing that God was going to fulfill his promise. But we have another problem with this. And this is your problem with it because it's my problem with it too. It takes 45 years for this promise to come true. I wonder about year 40 if Caleb went, you know, come on, God. Can you just send like one more plague and kill the rest of these losers off so I can go in the promised land? I'd, I'd have probably prayed that. 45 years for the promise to come through. What if he waited 44 years, 11 months, 28 days, and said, I'm done, and walked away? He'd have missed it. Here's what you have to remember. You don't get to set the rules. God's timeline is never going to be your timeline. The creator of time gets to set the timeline. And so for this adventure that you're on, when each chapter unfolds, it's really not your timing. It's God's timing. And what you discover is the seasons come and they'll go. There's a season for this, there's a season for that, just as the Bible tells us. And as we start fleshing it out, we learn that we have to anchor our lives to truth and step by faith. And so Caleb does that. And he'd been strong and he stayed faithful and he was playing the long game with God, if you want to say it that way. And he wasn't going to quit. There are two curious little boys that were standing in a store looking at a set of bathroom scales. And one looked at the other and said, how does this thing work? And the boy, as only two kids could explain something they don't understand, said, well, I'm not really sure, but I do know this. So when you stand on it, it either makes you mad or it makes you cry. <laughs> he said, and then he added, at least it doesn't my house. And at the end of the day, you know, that's what happens sometimes, right? I mean, you, you can know and you can deal with truth in a number of ways, but, you know, truth can make you mad. It can make you cry. Or it can change you because you can't change truth. Truth is truth. And you have to choose what you're going to do with it. The third thing I want you to see is this. Also, this is an adventure that you're on, this bathe in desire. Look at verse 11 12. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was in. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there. Their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out. Just as he said. Uh, Caleb was not coming because he was entitled. He wasn't coming out of arrogance. He was simply coming to claim what God had promised him. And there's never anything wrong with that. And, and it was a big task, by the way, because this area was located 3,000 feet above sea level. The area that he's talking about is 3,000 feet above sea level. The Anakites were large. The cities were fortified. And so this was not based upon convenience. This was not the easiest of the places to conquer. This would have been the toughest. But when you're focused on God, you don't focus on fear as much as you do. When you stay focused on God, you discover that your perspective changes because you change. 
See, when you focus on your problems, you stay afraid all the time. Caleb was not afraid of giants, but it didn't negate the fact that they were big and they were tall and they were strong. They were real. He knew they were real. They just didn't scare him. He was not afraid of saying what he believed. He'd proven that 40 years ago. He was not afraid of taking a stand for truth. He'd proven that as well. And so Caleb desires more than anything else to do the God thing and to be obedient. And that is something that our culture has no concept of. To stand for truth in a world where we want to make decisions based on everybody else's opinion. To anchor your life and make your decisions based on something that you know lasts forever. And what does Caleb do? This is the bold prayer, right? He's ask, he asked Joshua to give him permission to go climb mountains and go fight giants. That's what this request is. Give me mountains to climb. Give me giants to fight because that's what I want to do. That's what I signed up for. He's waited 45 years for this moment, 45 years to tackle the giants, 45 years to climb the mountain. What would happen to our culture if the people of God would pray every morning, God, make me bold, give me mountains to climb, give me giants to fight? What would our world look like? See, we, we, we do far different, right? Oh, God, I'm going to church today. I hope the air conditioner's working. Lord, I'm going to church today. I hope nobody's sitting in my seat. Lord, I'm going to church today. I hope that pastor doesn't talk about money again. Lord, I'm going to church today. hope nobody says anything to me about how I'm dressed, because I know I'm not dressed as nice as they are, but I just that's the best I could do this morning. I didn't feel like doing my hair. I mean, what if we did that? See, we often focus on the wrong things instead of getting up every morning, looking in the mirror, and realizing that you've been chosen by God for this great adventure that he's called you to. And this could be a day where you fight giants and climb mountains. Age has nothing to do with it because you don't get to tap out. Claire Barton served as a nurse in the Spanish-American War at age 76. John Glenn went to space at age 77. H.G. Wells earned his doctorate degree at age 78. Benjamin Franklin invented the bifocals at age 79. Harrison Ford plays Indiana Jones at age 80. <laughs> Frank Lloyd Wright completed the plans and design of the Guggenheim at age 89. Kareem Leslie skydived in Arizona at age 89. Lillian Gish starred in The Whales of August at age 93. Choreographer Martha Graham premiered the Maple Leaf Gala at age 95. Otto Butcher scored a hole-in-one at the age of 99. And a man by the name of Raya climb Mount Fuji at the age of 100. There's everything I could do to get here this morning. <laughs> but in your life, you have the opportunity to do some amazing things, and you have to decide, is this the life that I want? You notice that for each one of these things that I just rattled off that these people did, there was a challenge to that. For Caleb, at age 85, there was a challenge that was left. I'm pretty sure that one of the reasons that we get so bored with life and the things of God is we don't see the challenges that are left. And we don't see it as a challenge. 
and we need those. I'm convinced that God is getting ready to take this church ministry on one of the greatest journeys it's ever been on in the years ahead. I think our greatest days are in front of us. I think that God's going to do some amazing things with this ministry in a way that he never has before. There's challenges. Will it be easy? Oh, no, no. There's giants to kill. There's a few walls to climb. A few things to get over, no doubt. In your life, there's going to be challenges. There have to be. Because those challenges, that tension makes you stronger and gives you an opportunity to appreciate and value this thing called life, but at the same time understand that you are a participant in something that God has called you to that's bigger than you are. But again, it's your choice. How will you view the world? Let's pray together. God, we live in a world, a day and age, where people want... God to show up and come through for them, I think, and we don't like to make a whole lot of effort. But when we read Scripture, we realize that there's no promised land without a few battles. There's no living life without a few risks. There's no passion if we don't put our heart and soul into what it is that we do. And so, Lord, we would ask this day that you would help us as we strive to live life based in faith, bolstered by truth, and bathed in desire. Well, there's some who have never made that decision to jump across that line into this thing called faith. They're kicking the tires on it. It sounds good. Um, but sometimes in our heads we say that's for other people, not me. And we get right to that edge of faith and we think, man, what if there was something beyond what this is? But we're never willing to stop shopping. We just keep looking without ever going all in. Lord, I've got to believe that there are some people who will be in this room or watch us online right now who this is their day. It's an opportunity to go all in. Will they trust? Will they do what they were created to do, will they step up and become that person that God has created them to be? Lord, if they're in this room, I pray that before they would leave this morning, they would just simply drop us a note and say, I want to accept Jesus as Savior. Give us a chance to explain what that looks like. Answer questions. Help them in that journey. If they're watching online, they can fire us an email, even now, and just say, I want to make this choice. And we can explain to them what, what it means, what, what's happening, what happens next. Well, there's others in this room, though, that they made that choice. And so we come back to what we prayed last week. God, make us bold. Give us some mountains to climb. Give us some giants to face. Give us some walls to scale. Help us see the challenges are in front of us, not as problems, but as opportunities. And help us to have the confidence to know that we don't face them alone. If we can do that, then our lives become radically different. And the impossible begins to become improbable. And then before we know it, it becomes inevitable. And you do 
what you set out to do with us. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.